are listening to the Batflip Podcast, a baseball podcast from Belly Up Sports and the Belly Up Podcast Network. Here are your hosts, Damian and Matt. Welcome back, everyone, to the Batflip Podcast. My name is Damian here with two co-hosts this week. Got David and Matt with me back again, just like our trade deadline episode. Uh, we're going to bring back the division breakdown, uh, taking a final look at where teams stand going into the final stretch run to the playoffs. Uh, and got a bunch of news since we didn't have an episode last week. But uh, but before we jump into that, how are you doing, David? I uh, came down with a little bit of COVID, so I'm a little stuffier than usual tonight. But uh, other than that, I'm I'm perfectly good. And, uh, we'll see uh, about how these division breakdowns kind of shake out here. I'm, I think we've got some real interesting items to talk about in the baseball landscape. Uh, Matt, how you doing tonight, buddy? I'm doing great. Uh, just uh, started a new workout program, so that's been interesting and my legs hurt. But um, other than that, uh, everything's good and uh, ready to talk about a little bit of baseball. A lot of stuff going on. Yeah, it's, uh, it's going to be a jam-packed episode, so let's go ahead and jump in. We'll start with the American League East, where the Yankees are still leading the division at 75-48, and 48, have an eight-game lead over the Tampa Bay Rays, who are sitting at 66-55. and 55. you got the Toronto Blue Jays in third at 65-55, and 55, eight and a half back. Uh, then you got the Baltimore Orioles in fourth at 63 and 58, 11 games back of the division. And then you got Boston at 60 and 62, 14 and a half games back, bringing up the, the rear of this division. Yeah, so, you know, starting off, um, we'll get to the Yankees here in a second, but until looking at it just now, I had no idea the Rays had passed the Blue Jays. Like, I just had no earthly idea. I mean, I don't understand how they continue to do it with the amount of injuries they have. You know, Wander Franco being out most of the year, like, I don't, I don't understand. But anyways, let's talk about the Yankees. Yeah, the Yankees are actually, you know, I think their struggles are a little bit overblown. Um, they're certainly not pulling away like I think everybody thought they would earlier in the season. Aaron Judge is pretty much the biggest story on the Yankees right now, but uh, their starting pitching has kind of been letting them down of late. The thing is, the Yankees still have an eight-game lead in the division. It's not really all that unsafe. They're pretty much 100% locked to make the playoffs at this point. I think the struggles are just a little bit overblown, but, uh, you know, what's bad is that if the fans are kind of turning on the players, if the players start to doubt themselves, which I don't think they need to do, uh, they do, they have had some injuries to like Giancarlo Stanton and some other guys, you know, I, I think that Yankees team is perfectly good enough to make a world series run here. It's just going to take kind of getting that confidence back and that swagger back that they had early in the season. Yeah, you talk about that, and I, I agree with you to a to a pretty high level. My my level of concern for the Yankees out on a scale of like one to ten would be like a six out of, but but that's just concern. And the reason I say that is because of injuries and guys they are not going to get back. Um, you know they've they've lost uh, a lot of pitchers. You know they lost Chad Green early in the season. They've lost Michael King. Uh, and you know pitching wise or starting pitching wise, they lost Severino. They traded Jordan Montgomery. You know, they've, they've had some issues there. Obviously, you talk about Stanton being out. Uh, but, you know, there is some concern also with just the fact that, you know, like Glaber Torres isn't really hitting that well anymore. Like uh, Matt Carpenter, he's out. and But but some of these guys like, like Torres, Carpenter, you didn't expect them to continue some kind of torrid pace all year. Like, so a little bit of his regression to the mean, a little bit of it is, you know, just having some injuries. I mean, the Bader, who they traded for, still not back yet. Um, and then you look at some other issues that they have and, and just the fact that they've been a little bit unlucky lately. Their BABIP, BABIP as a team has been pretty low. 
just, uh, you know, early in the season, if you remember, it seemed like they were winning on a comeback win in the ninth inning or a close game the first, you know, two, three months of the season, like on a nightly basis. And you're just not going to be able to do that all year long. So the Yankees are still really good. They're still a World Series contender. They're still probably the best team in the AL East. But, you know, their luck's just not quite what it was early in the season. And they've had some, you know, some bad luck recently with the injuries and stuff. So I think they're going to be fine. Like you say, eight-game lead uh, is big. But, but I mean, they're not an invulnerable team like, like a lot of people were looking at them as early in the season. So there is some concern there. Yeah, and then looking at, I mean, just – mentioning the, the back end of the bullpen does give you some pause i mean like you mentioned losing michael king you've uh lost chad green clay holmes has not been effective and just went on the il a role chapman hasn't looked like himself ever since he's got back or even for the last year or so really um you know zach Britton did start a rehab assignment today so maybe they get him back and then looking at the starting pitching front uh Severito did throw a bullpen they were very encouraged i guess he was touching 94 95 um and they were very encouraged but what they saw there so potentially him, you know, coming back sometime in, in September, helping up the starting rotation. Um, you know, they have got a little bit of, you know, juice from calling up guy like Oswaldo Cabrera. I mean, he's been making highlight plays for them. Not really at the plate too much, but he's been a really good defender, even in right field, learning how to play that. And I think he's already robbed a homer and threw somebody out. I mean, he, they've got a little bit of energy from there. But the Yankees, I mean, they have given you some reason for pause the last month or so, especially after the trade deadline. Um, so you definitely need to get some guys like Bader back if you can get Stanton back to help that lineup. And then if you can get a guy like Britton and Severino to kind of help that pitching staff in something that seems like it's been reeling as of late. Yeah, and one last key for the Yankees, too, before we move on, is that their big trade deadline acquisition and Frankie Montas has not looked very good. And, you know, he had those little uh, shoulder issues right before the trade deadline. But, uh, you know, he's pitched through them, which I don't know if that's still affecting him. But tonight, he's actually been, been very good so far against the Mets. I think he's been through like six innings maybe or five innings, one run maybe. So, um, you know, he's been a lot better tonight. So maybe he will be able to, you know, kind of uh, return on that investment that they put into him recently. But, uh, you know, moving on, looking at the, uh, you know, the, the wild three wildcard teams in this division and potentially which is crazy and one of them is not the red Sox. so yeah i'm still mad at the orioles for selling at the deadline remember they traded their closer and their you know kind of franchise icon superstar and trey mancini and they've done nothing but win since uh since the deadline uh it kind of calls into question that entire decision making process of why are you selling with you know, the juice and firepower coming up for the minor leagues that the Orioles have. I mean, Adley Rutschman's been transcendent of late and, you know, they're just called up Gunnar Henderson or, or there were rumors that they were going to call him up. I'm not entirely sure if he's up, uh, but th- this team is, you know, just every second they can call up kind of a superstar potential player from the minors. I, they had some real juice if they could have just, you know, probably kept the back end of the bullpen together and, uh, it, it just frustrates me because more teams need to be taking this approach uh, to, to kind of go ahead and win when you have a chance because nobody expected the Orioles to be five games over 500 at this point and 2.5 games out of the wild card, yet here they are. Uh, so they really probably could have used some guys at the trade deadline instead of you know selling off some of their better players. Yeah, I, I agree to a certain level. Um, at the same time, I mean, Craig Mancini's good, but I wouldn't consider him anything – close to like a superstar type player like he's you know he's put up 
he's been he's been considered a lot better than he really is because he's played on a bad Orioles teams have been their best player and been the guy that's been there for a long time so people kind of think of the Orioles they think of Trey Mancini but he only has a 115 WRC plus on the season which is good but he's also kind of a DH guy I mean I know he plays first a little bit and and the Orioles have a lot of guys who can play you know first third out corner outfield like that's kind of their strength so they're kind of trading from a strength you know, they've got uh, Urias at third, who's been really good this year, and they've got Mountcastle to play first, who's been really good. So, you know, it's kind of like you could throw someone else in the DH spot, and, and it kind of keeps you from having blocked prospects, and you, you get to add a pretty good prospect to your farm system too. And then with the closer thing, I mean, I mean, it could have been good to keep Jorge Lopez. You know, obviously, it has allowed Felix Batista to come into a come into his own as a legit closer, and he's looked insanely good. But, but yeah, I mean, I, I agree to a certain level. I mean, it, you know, what's the the obviously the, Ori- the Orioles are not going to win the World Series. I mean, they might sneak into the last wild card spot. They're not going to win the World Series, and I get kind of the thought process there, like why just try to sneak into the back of the playoffs when you're going to get smacked by the you know the third the third division winner when you could keep building for next year. But at the same time, like, you know, you don't want to tear apart a team that's kind of rolling. And I'll tell you, the one thing, you know, just on the Orioles, Adley Rutschman's been one of the best players. and Not best rookie, not best catcher. He's been one of the best players in the big leagues. At age 24 in his rookie season, he has a 139 WRC+, plus, playing elite defense as a catcher, and has a positive base running metrics, while running a pretty low batting average on balls in play at 296. So it's not like he's been some super lucky hitter come out. He's just, he's been insanely good and he's going to be good for a long time. I'm telling you. We can't praise Adley enough. I don't think. And he's the kind of guy who's, who's going to lead the Orioles for a really long time. I'm really excited about uh, watching Adley in the future. Yeah. I mean, they're, they're very well set up. I mean, Adley's up there, you know, we've already seen what Mount Castle can do. You mentioned Gunnar Henderson's supposed to get the call, uh, or, or it's been rumored that he's going to get the call within the next week or so. Um, you know, you got to wonder if, if Grayson Rodriguez didn't have that arm injury or shoulder injury earlier this year, he'd probably be up by now, and you'd be seeing him probably be one of those high-level p- prospects as well. Um, I mean, this team, they're well set up to be really fun for a long time and to make some moves and, you know, Trading a guy like Jorge Lopez, I mean, it does suck and it does mess with the chemistry this year. Um, but in the long run, it might be the thing, one of the things that is beneficial. So, uh, you know, uh, beneficial to the long-term success of the team, at least. But let's go ahead and move over to the AL Central now, and we'll go ahead and start with the Cleveland Indians at sixty-four and fifty-six, leading the division. Uh, you got the Minnesota Twins at sixty-two and fifty-eight, two games back. The Chicago White Sox at 62 and 63 games back. Uh, the Kansas City Royals at 50 and 74, 16 games back. And then Detroit bringing up the seller of the division at 47 and 76, 18 and a half games back. Yeah, you know, we can start off talking about the Guardians and how well they have done this year. Um, you know, obviously we knew coming in, Jose Ramirez was going to be great. He always is. But, uh, you know, Andres Jimenez has been incredible for them one of the guys they got back from the uh from the Lindor trade in fact Andres Jimenez and and Ahmed Rosario who they also got back in that trade have both been really really good this year Andres Jimenez has a 150 WRC plus and 4.5 wins above replacement on the season this year I don't think he's getting enough national publicity for how good he has been 
Um, and then you, you, you can add in there Stephen Kwan, who's been playing left field for them. Uh, he has a 9% strikeout rate as a rookie. <laughs> I mean, that's incredible. But but he's not like some of these you know low strikeout rate guys that they're not striking out because they're swinging at the first pitch and making contact every time. He walks a lot, too. He's just got incredible plate discipline and, and contact skills. He's a 9%, 9.5% walk rate, 9% strikeout rate guy. Uh, and he's got a you know a three three oh one average on the season three seventy three on base three ninety six slugging, that's a one twenty four wrc plus while being a good base runner and playing a really good outfield. This is a team that you know they needed a, they needed a good outfield play and he's brought it and uh, you know also you know that they're pitching their starting pitching's been really good. Shane Bieber, he's not getting talked about enough either. I mean he's. He's not what he was in 2020 in the short season, but I mean a 310 ERA on the season, almost four wins above replacement for him, a 282 FIP, 310 ERA, uh, and, and then Tristan McKenzie's been really, really good, finally living up to some of that billing. Uh, his peripherals are a little bit higher than his ERA, but at 311 ERA for him uh, on the season, pitching a lot of innings. They, they both stayed really healthy this year, and then uh, you know you also look at some of their bullpen guys have been really good, like Emmanuel Classe. I mean he's been one of the best relievers in baseball. So uh, the Twins, a lot of people are surprised to see – I mean, the, the Guardians, a lot of people are surprised to see them in first place here. Obviously, you know, everyone kind of picked the White Sox in this division before the season. But, you know, uh, the White Sox have had their issues. They've had their, you know, some of their little turmoil at the top end and, and a lot of injuries. So I'm not super surprised that the Guardians have been able to, ones that have been able to take advantage of that. You know, here we are a month after the trade deadline or so, you know, almost there. And this division is still not at all wrapped up. Um, And it's still showing off that the three of these teams kind of standing pat at the trade deadline was an absolute mistake. Uh, All three of them should have been going out and trying to acquire that a little bit extra. And the Twins went on and got Tyler Maley, I guess. But, you know, there's still two games back. Maley hasn't quite been as good as as build uh, and Byron Buxton just went down. So the twins are definitely hurting right now. It's a winnable division. And I just, you know, the guardians probably could have put it away. Um, you know, the, the white Sox have been really, really unlucky. They've had injury issues and then some just strange performance problems that we've seen from them. Like Yohan Moncada's just fallen off a cliff for them. Um, whereas, you know, and Tim Anderson been hurt. Whereas, you know, Jose Abreu's having, you know, another really good season, uh, despite him being like 37 years old, it's it's one of these things that where and you know, Yasmani Grandal too has fallen off a cliff this season for the White Sox. I hate to see it because the White Sox absolutely probably had the the pick of the litter in the AL Central this year, and they have fallen way short of where they should have been. And at this point, you know, it's anybody's game in the Central. I think I like the Guardians the most of these three teams at this point, but. You know, this could change drastically as we go through the rest of the season. It's not over yet. Yeah, I agree. I mean, and one of the things with the White Sox is that they're, the talent's still there. I mean, they just have underperformed. Like, their second best pitcher on the season by war has been Johnny Cueto. I mean, uh, you look at uh, Lucas Giolito has just had a rough year. Um, you know, a lot of that's Babbitt driven too. I mean, he's got a 366 batting average on balls and play hit against him, which is insane. Uh, there's no way that's sustainable. He has a 361 expected FIP. 
but a 534 ERA is really high. It sounds like he's had a horrible year, but I think he's probably going to be, I think he's had some bad luck. And you got to remember too, that guys like Lance Lynn missed a lot of time and came back and just hadn't been great. Um, you know, it, it's, it's been tough for them. Uh, and then, you know, same, th- same deal with the hitters. I mean, you look at guys like, like you, like you mentioned Moncada and, uh, Grandal and, uh, you know, a bunch of these guys, a Pollock who they traded for right before the season hasn't, has had a rough year. I mean, you know, everyone wants to blame Tony La Russa, and obviously Tony La Russa is not a good manager, but you know, at the same time, I mean, some of their guys have just underperformed and a lot of it's been bad luck to a lot of injuries and just different issues. And, and I, I agree. I mean, you know, White Sox probably could have added something at the, at the deadline, uh, the Guardians definitely should have added something at the deadline. And, of course, but we sit here and, and the team that was leading at the deadline that did add uh, in the Twins who added Lopez and they added uh, Michael Fulmer and they added one of the better pitchers in the market, Tyler Molly, has underperformed since then. So uh, it's been definitely definitely interesting to see the, the top of this division. But I do want to mention that the two teams at the bottom here, uh, we'll get to the Tigers in a minute because of some news, but – um, you know, the Royals have been really weird this year, but honestly, I kind of like some of the things that are happening with them right now. Uh, some of the guys coming up have kind of performed pretty well. Like Vinny Pasquantino is performing really, really well at the plate. Um, that's been fun to see. Um, you know, and, and then, you know, they, they actually just called up, uh, the guy they traded the guy they traded for drew waters, um, a, earlier. And I think he, he delivered a game winning walk. Uh, yesterday maybe and then uh, obviously you know they've, they've got some pretty cool young player mj melendez has been really good at the plate too he's looked solid although he needs to work on whether whether if he's gonna be an outfielder he needs to work on that defense so if he's gonna be a catcher then i don't you know we don't really see it but uh it's it's that the, the royals have had some interesting things for their future not that they'll put it together but a quick note on the Royals before we turn it over to Damian for the Tigers news. Uh, Bobby Witt Jr. has been really good, too. Uh, yeah. Stealing a lot of bases, hitting for power. Isn't doing much else, but uh, I think that guy's going to be a star. Uh, it's just going to take some time for him to get used to the big leagues. He's still really, really young. So, yeah, a lot of good, exciting young players on the Royals, and they did finally trade off Whit Merrifield. So, uh, going in the right direction, <laughs> I think. Just a little late on that one. <laughs> yeah, just a little bit. I um, feel it, right? Yep. Oh, yeah. So the Tigers let go of their general manager, Alavila. Uh, so last week, did they let him go? Or yeah, two I weeks think so. Ago? Yeah, it was, it was last two week. weeks. I think it was, it was one of the two. One of the two. Whatever. It doesn't matter. They let him go. Um, I think ending a, was it 10-year, 15-year run of him being the – when did he take over after I Dombrowski? Was, I think Dombrowski left like right as the Tigers were about to have to rebuild. Like it was like 2014, maybe. Yeah, so it's been oh eight to ten years. Um, ending that run, they're going to go into the off season and you know try and find their their GM of the future. Um, you know, there's already been rumors about uh, oh what's his name from the with AJ Hinch from the Astros. I just blanked on it now. Um, somebody help me out here. An Astros? GM? Yeah, the GM that was there with AJ Hinch. Oh, I, I don't remember. The one that got fired for all yeah. the sign stealing stuff as well. Yeah, uh, yeah I know what you're talking uh, Jeff I know, Lunau? I know you're, yeah, Lunau, that's right. Jeff Lunau. There's already been some rumors that Jeff Lunau might be in the um, you know, in the talks or in the discussion at least for that, um, just with the A.J. Hinch connection there. 
and the Illiches kind of being, you know, kind of willing to maybe start looking to sell the team. So, you know, might not care about the rep as much anymore. I don't know. But uh, it's going to be interesting to see what the Tigers do moving forward. You know, they did sign a big contract this year in Javi Baez and Eduardo Rodriguez. Javi hasn't really worked out all that well. You just got Eduardo Rodriguez back, I believe, this week. Uh, he just came back and made his what? first start with them. Um, so, it, you know, they – and Miguel Cabrera committed to playing for next year. So they're still going to have some some bigger contracts on the books, but you have seen, you know, some of the young talent. Riley Green's come up. He's shown flashes. Not been great overall, but um, – and Torkelson as well. Um, you know, he struggled, and, and he'll need to get called back up. But it's going to be interesting to see what the Tigers do moving forward because they have some good pitching prospects uh, down there, and they have a couple good, really good hitting prospects. They just need to be able to fill out around them and, and kind of allow them to build. Yeah, the, the thing that worries me about the Tigers is uh, that you went out and you and you got Javier Baez to a huge contract. It was like six years, 140, I think. And I could tell you the day that he signed that contract that it was going to be a bad contract because this is a guy who obviously has been a really, really good player, but his unique skill set that he's had is one that probably isn't going to age fantastic. I mean, you know, he doesn't put the ball in play very well. He has a horrible approach at the plate, doesn't walk, strikes out a lot, and he's very Babbitt driven and he's very power driven at the plate. And, you know, as he ages a little bit, some of that power and just that raw athleticism that allows him to make his approach work, you know, doesn't work as well. He's still a good defender and he's still a good base runner. He's going to always be that to a certain level, but, you know, defense doesn't age all that well either. And base running doesn't age all that well. So, you know, Javi Baez is a guy who's exciting. But sometimes when these teams go out and when you go out and, and you're in a situation like the Tigers were in this past offseason, you want to and you want to go like jumpstart your future. You need to go out and get the top guy on the market. Like you can't go out and, and get somebody who is pretty good and sign them to a big contract to make them the centerpiece of your team. Like you have to do what the Rangers did and go out and get and go out and get Corey Seager. Or do what, you know, the Padres did a few years ago, go out and get Manny Machado, like when you're about to pull out of a rebuild. Like that's the type of thing you need to do or just, you know, let your young guys come up and figure it out because now they've got another bad contract on their books or two bad contracts when you when you consider Eduardo Rodriguez. So, you know, you add that to the fact that a lot of their pitching prospects have either gotten injured, like Casey Mize, underperformed, you know, Matt Manning, you know, hadn't really he's, – he's been injured a lot too, but he hadn't really done all that much at the big league level yet. You know, some of these guys, they, they just haven't really figured it out. Some of their guys are struggling in AAA. And the fact that your guys you called up that you were thinking, hey, this guy's going to be our next star. Spencer Torkelson has been horrible at the big league level. You know, and, and you also look at the at uh, Riley Green. It's been okay, but hadn't really been number one prospect worthy at the big league level. So this is a team that I – really struggling to see their future like a lot of people were seeing before the season and uh honestly this might end up being a situation where a team has to blow it up like a second time into another rebuild where they trade Tarek Skubal who's had a good year you know they trade a couple of their top relievers who have had good years um I, I don't really know um I don't know where 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 this team's gonna go go next I don't envy whoever takes over for Alavila yeah, and the, the one thing, and then we'll jump over to the AOS, the one thing is, is that they have shown the willingness before to spend money. So, you know, if you get the Miguel contract, 
a Miguel Cabrera contract off the books next year. Sure, you have the Javi Baez one. You know, Eduardo Rodriguez has shown to still be a pretty, you know, solid pitcher. I mean, he's not an ace level pitcher, but he's a guy who could be a two or a three in a rotation. And if you're able to build a guy like Tyre Schubel, Casey Mize, if, if you're able to get Matt Manning back up there, um, you know, and develop some of your other prospects. I know they just drafted Jackson Joe, but he's really young, but he has a bright future ahead of him as well. You know, I don't think it's as bad as people have made it out to be so far. It's just not a thing that somebody's going to go in there and compete right away. It's still going to take, you know, three, two or three years down the road until they're ready for that point. Um, And they're going to have to be smart with how they actually spend the money. Yeah, and and one thing that the Tigers need to do too is they need to develop talent better. I mean, like, go look at – if you look at Jackson Job's numbers – like he's getting, I know it's he's he's 19, but he's getting rocked in A ball this year. I mean, it's, you know, this is supposed to be like your number one prospect, and you know, it's they they're not developing their prospects very well. I mean, a lot of guys have they have shown their their farm system is not there's there's some teams that do a great job developing farm, and there's some teams that do a horrible job, and the Tigers have not done a good job at all. Like I can't remember a player that came up through the Tiger system recently that came up and did well at the big league level. Like I, it's just it's it's been I mean, and that when you do that, I mean, every team, even the teams that have spent big at the at the uh, with the payroll have developed a lot of players on their own. I mean, like look at the Dodgers. I mean, they're the biggest spender, but I mean, most of their core was developed in in house. I mean, you know, look at uh, look at the Braves who won the World Series last year. All their entire team was built in house. Look at uh, you know the Yankees. Their entire team, for the most part, a lot of their team, not not their entire team, but a lot of their you know key players were developed in house. I mean, it's you know it's hard to build just just through free agency. They got to do something to develop these players better. Well, it's almost like a new GM will take over and probably bring in his own scouting department. Oh, so uh, that's, that's probably need, so. that's probably good for them. But uh, let's jump over to the American League West, where we have the Astros leading the division at seventy-eight and forty-five. You have the Mariners sixty-six and fifty-six, eleven and a half games back. The Rangers at fifty-six and sixty-six, twenty-one and a half games back. The Angels at fifty-two and seventy, twenty-five and a half games back, and then the A's at forty-five and seventy-eight, thirty-three games back. Uh, and there's been some interesting uh, news about this division uh, over the past couple weeks. Yeah, I mean, this division's probably the least interesting when it comes to the race at the top because, I mean, the Astros are just running away with it. So, uh, but yeah, uh, you've got the Rangers and the Angels making a lot of interesting news. Yeah, and the, the news being Art Moreno's considering selling the Angels, uh, which is, I think, pretty huge for uh, for baseball in general because it's the kind of thing that could both uh, shake up the landscape regarding a Shohei Otani trade in the offseason. Uh, it could also, you know, potentially include a Shohei Otani extension in the offseason that may set the mark for future big free agent contracts. So... Uh, you know, a new owner is going to have to come in and, and change the way things are done in the Angels organization because, you know, from from top to bottom, you know, their free agent signings last year really just didn't pan out very well other than Noah Syndergaard, who was good enough to get traded at the deadline for some prospects. Uh, you know, and that was good, but you, you've got to capitalize more when you've got a team, you know, with Mike Trout and Shohei Otani on it. Uh, Anthony Rendon's been effectively a disaster to this point, and, you know, it's not Rendon's fault. He's been hurt, but that contract just looking back on, it seems like a really poor decision. And that's the kind of contract that a, 
owner with a sight on the future, uh, building an established team around their superstars may rethink uh, and consider more closely. Uh, I, I do think that a new change of ownership is good and uh, a lot of, of teams may actually need it, but the Angels may be like the first team I would think of if I was thinking of a team who needs a new owner. I mean, they have just been in turmoil, you know, purgatory, basically, uh, with Mike Trout. You mean they literally have the best player in baseball and they can't win anything with him. They've only made the playoffs one time in Trout's career. Yeah, so a couple things there. The thing about Art Marino is that obviously the team hasn't been successful since he's been there, and he seems to be a little bit of a meddler, too, in some ways. But, I mean, obviously, like, he's willing to spend money. I mean, Mike Trout's got has had at times the biggest contract in baseball. I don't think it's the biggest contract in baseball right now. Uh, obviously, they they've spent big on Anthony Rendon. They spent big on Albert Pujols. They spent big on Josh Hamilton. They spent big on David Freeze. They they've spent they're spent big on a ton of guys. They just haven't worked out for the most part. Um, but what what they need to do is they need a you know a GM in there and and I don't know it might be Perry Manasian who who's their current GM he just got there like a year ago it might end up being somebody else that comes in with a new ownership but or potentially new ownership but they really need somebody to come in and, and have a plan going forward because it seems like every year they have these three two or three really really good players but they don't have a plan they don't have a plan of how to make the team better. I mean, this team's been devoid yeah. on pitching for a long time and depth in their lineup for a long time. I mean, they, they, they've, they've had these top three or four players, but it seems like every time they need somebody, they, they sign some washed-up veteran. or not, Maybe not washed up, but they sign a veteran who's quite obviously like going to be on the downturn. Or, or in like Anthony Rendon's case, they just have some bad luck on it too. I mean, I don't think anybody yeah. can see that coming completely. I mean, he, has, he did deal with injury issues in Washington at times, but not to this level. And... But it, it's just it's a weird thing with them. Um, I will say that a couple of their deadline moves worked out pretty well so far. Uh, Logan O'Hop's been absolutely killing it for them in triple in double A since he got traded there for for Brandon Marsh, who's just kind of a a meh outfielder at this point. Uh, obviously, he's still young, so he could turn it around. But I mean, he's got a um, you know a seventy WRC plus since going over to Philly. So uh, that. You know, that might end up being a really, really good trade going forward. But, I mean, they're another team, too. Like we mentioned earlier, just, you know, they, they got to develop these guys. I mean, they, they didn't develop Brandon Marsh. You know, Joe Adele was this raw athlete who was such a good athlete that he could almost make it work with no development, and he still didn't develop. I mean, you know, just, and then pitching-wise, like, you look at, you know, guys like, like Reed Detmers has, has seemed to be okay, but, you know – They've had a lot of they've had a lot of good pitchers or a lot of good pitching prospects come up and just not really do much. So uh, definitely something to look for with the Angels going forward. But um, it'll be the big news will be what what's going to happen with Otani. And this is also going to be a tough team to sell because Mike Trout's got that gigantic contract. Anthony Rendon's got that gigantic contract. You know, it's going to be kind of tough to sell this team because the, the, that payroll is going to be tough to bring down if a, if a new owner needs a needs a start off with a lower payroll. So because those contracts are probably not movable. So yeah, you look at the way they've brought Zach Nito into their organization, their first round pick. Nito is a pretty you know advanced shortstop. They've already got him in Double A, which 
is extremely over aggressive to the point that they may end up harming his development, uh, you know, by a, a pr- promoting him so aggressively. And I'm all for you know aggressive promotion, but this just seems extreme when it comes to to Nito, who's never played above co- the college level, and is all of a sudden thrust into Double A, you know, a month and a half after being drafted. So uh, Angels are definitely kind of a big question mark, I think, right now, and they're definitely the most interesting of the AL West teams. I was going to say, to be fair, for Zach Nito, he's, he's been pretty dang good in double-A so far. He's got a 145 WRC+. plus. It's a small sample size, though. So. It, might, it might work out for him, but that's the kind of... Yeah, that's the kind of thing that just... It, it's so aggressive yeah. that you can't make those mistakes. You can't lose a guy like Zach Nito yeah. to... Like, you've lost a guy like Brandon Marsh or Joe Adele. You know what I mean? Yeah. Yeah. Uh, and then also in this division, uh, to bring with the Rangers, also have fired their manager, Chris Woodward, or let him go, uh, and then also released GM John Daniels from his position, and I believe he was a special advisor or some president of baseball operations or something. Chris Young, former big league pitcher, has taken over uh, day-to-day operations um, and will basically be kind of the GM going forward. He said that they plan on hiring a GM at some point, but not in the near future and maybe not even in the offseason. Yeah, so I, I, yeah, go ahead, go ahead, David. I love this move, man. I I think this is the perfect time to do this. You need to get out in front of it as opposed to waiting for a big signing like they've made and a, a kind of an aggressive push to not work. Uh, they're out in front of it. They went, oh, this year we wanted to be better. We're not. And I don't think anybody put the Rangers into playoff contention with their offseason, but they said, oh, the Rangers are now like two years away. The Rangers are now out ahead of it. They're going to be an attractive destination for GMs. It's kind of the opposite situation the Angels are in, where the Rangers are not in bad contracts. I don't think Simeon or Seager is going to be a bad contract at this point. Like, And they have a lot of young talent. Their farm system is one of the best in baseball. So uh, this is a, an attractive situation, and it's a really good time to get ahead of this, where you can grab a, a good manager that your star players can kind of control who it is, uh, and then you know your, your GM is going to have a wealthy – uh, amount cash of prospects in order to deal from in order to complement their star players at the big league level yeah i don't fully understand the gm part of it because i think that the gm or that john daniels had done a pretty good job of helping build this team but obviously they really like chris young i think his position was actually general manager this year but the but he didn't oversee but john daniels was the uh, baseball operations president and now now chris young's going to control all the decision making but uh, I mean, I thought the Corey Seager signing was a great signing, and I think it's gone extremely well so far. I mean, he's had a very unlucky year, but he's still got a 123 WRC plus. Has actually improved at shortstop over his previous seasons, and has put up four wins above replacement. He's been really good. Um, this is a team that has a lot of young talent, they, and they've had some of those breakout type performers this year too, like Jonah Heim. Uh, he's kind of had that breakout this year. Almost three wins above replacement. Played great defense behind the plate, and he's hit really well. One one seventeen WRC plus. Nathaniel Lowe, one thirty two WRC plus. First baseman. You know, obviously he, he's not a good defensive first plate baseman. Probably should be a DH full time, but you know he he's been really really good this year at the plate. I mean they've they've had some good good things, and I mean this team is exactly what it, we thought it was going to be. I mean their offense has not a lot of depth but they have some really good players at the top of it, and they're dangerous, and their pitching really only has a couple of pretty decent guys, and then they don't really have a lot behind them. So, I mean, I feel like this team's been probably as they should be this year, and they're on track, and 
you know, I, I agree with the, the Woodward thing. I mean, obviously there were some issues there with the, the Rangers weren't exactly excited about having him around. And I, I've heard that, you know, a lot of people around there don't really like him that much. So that didn't surprise me too much, even though, I mean, I don't think the team really underperformed or anything. So they've also got advanced pitching in the minors with Jack Fighter oh, yeah. and Kumar Rocker, uh, yeah, well, two guys who are you know drafted yeah. two and three the last couple of years. So yeah, uh, I, I do worry about Lighter. I do worry we'll about Lighter a lot. He's been really bad this year at Double A. First so. run through though, you know, yeah. I, I think he'll grow. Yeah, yeah, I think he'll uh, be fine. Yeah, uh, he probably will be okay, but man. It, you know, a 5.50 ERA in Double A for a 22-year-old, you know, advanced college pitcher. I mean, it's a little scary. 20, I mean, 22 in Double A is still young. It's, you it's know, fairly you young. Double A to be 23, yeah. 24. So yeah, it's it's fairly young, but we'll we'll see what happens with them. Also, the Mariners are in position currently to make the playoffs for the first time since 2001 and break the longest playoffless <laughs> drought. Yeah, I mean, I like how we go through this entire division, not yeah. mention the Mariners, but like, there's really not that much to talk about. I mean, they're kind of like, there's, they're, as long as they don't implode, they're probably going to make the playoffs. They can't catch the Astros. You know, they're going to be a pretty dangerous team, I feel like, in the playoffs. Um, and, and one other mention, too, that the A's called up Shea Langoliers this week or last week and, you know, to the big league level. So, uh, you know, maybe a little bit of, looking to the future there that that's a pretty good piece for them so yeah and and we've talked about the mariners so much here and i, I was gonna to, you know get around to mentioning them because we kind of just jumped right to the to the angels and rangers talk but um you know one of the more aggressive teams getting a guy like Luis castillo at the deadline i mean we've talked about the rotation before they have a, a pretty good top four that in that rotation that could help them make a, a you know pretty substantial playoff run um, if they can, if the, the hitting will stay around, you know, Julio Rodriguez, Ty France, um, and the rest of those guys can and can continue to do what they have done so far this season. So hopefully the Mariners are able to break that longest drought because I think it's been, what, 2001? I think it's 22 years or 20 years? Somewhere uh, around there. 21 yeah. years, 2001. Uh, and then also we need to mention what Justin Verlander has done this year. Um, just – Absolutely outrageous, phenomenal for a guy who is 39 years old, coming off Tommy John surgery to have what 143 innings pitched so far this year, a 195 ERA with a FIP that's still just 288. I mean, the XFIP is a, is a little high at 3.4, but I mean, just wild the the type of season that he's had. Um, and I know David and I were talking a little bit, uh, uh, you know, about him before the show, and it. it for me to dive into the numbers and see how good he's actually been, um, you know, actually looking into it, not out or not just on the surface level. Um, it's been pretty, pretty fun for sure. Yeah. He's, he's special, but well, let's jump over to the national league East. Now where we have the uh, New York Mets at 79 and 45 leading the division. We got the Atlanta Braves at 76 and 48, three games back. You got the Philadelphia Phillies at 67 and 55, 11 games back. The Marlins at 53 and 69, 25 games back. And then the Washington Nationals at 41 and 82, 37 and a half games back. I think that's the biggest number I've said in a long time so far that we've been doing these division breakdowns. Yeah, so just looking at the NL East, uh, the Mets are still good. Um, the, they, there's the big series between the top two teams last week. The Braves took three out of four and, and kind of kept themselves in the race. But the Mets, you know, rebounded over the weekend and, and smacked the Phillies around. Um, 
and they they look to be it looks like they're going to be tough to catch. They also have one of the weakest schedules remaining. I think they have a series against the Dodgers and a series against the Braves, but other than that, it's like an extremely weak schedule. In fact, they have a 470 remaining strength of schedule winning percentage. So, uh, you know, I would expect the Mets to probably still win this. Uh, you look at the playoff odds and you, the, the division winning odds, the Mets are like about 80%, the Braves are about 20%. So, uh, definitely interesting there. The Braves are kind of on another hot streak again. Uh, not quite what they did with the 14 straight wins they had in, at the start of June, but they've been really hitting the ball well, pitching well lately. Uh, and, and then the Phillies are kind of in position for the playoffs, which is finally, I mean, it, the Phillies are, they're not quite the Mariners, but I mean, I think they haven't made the playoffs in like 10 years, maybe um, 11 years. So, uh, you know, the Phillies are, they're not a lock yet, but they're looking pretty good right now. So definitely, uh, definitely this division is finally kind of what it was billed to be. Uh, you know, the last, uh, the last couple of years where it kind of collapsed early. Yeah. So just to mention a couple of things, um, you know, one with the Braves uh, over the past couple of weeks, they signed Michael Harris, to so that eight-year, $72 million extension uh, that has a couple years of options that can take it up to $102 million for 10 years. Um, and then with the Phillies, uh, Bryce Harper's eye in a September 1st return. He started his rehab assignment today and homered in his first at-bat off a lefty already. So, um, you know, if the Phillies are able to add a guy like Bryce Harper, who was, you know, the reigning National League MVP from last year um, into that lineup, you know, that they're already starting to kind of click a little bit more and the pitching starting to come around. It could really make that wild card race, you know, even a little bit better there. Um, but just the the couple pieces of news kind of from the NL East there with, with the Harris extension and Harper. Just yeah. Oh, go ahead. Just quick, one quick little thing there with the Phillies lineup. Kyle Schwarber has the second most home runs in the major leagues right now with 34. That is a grand total of 14 home runs shy of first place uh, with Aaron Judge. Yeah. So, uh, I want to just re-litigate how incredible a season Aaron Judge is having uh, overall. 48 home runs, about to hit 50. We're not even at September yet. Yeah, it's insane. But um, he, hit the, he hit the one tonight, too. Uh, uh, that that takes him to 48, yeah. Yeah, 48. So, yeah, and, you know, you, you mentioned uh, Mike, the Michael Harris extension. I want to elaborate on that just a little bit. Uh, I, I think that was – it's interesting. I think the Braves – like first free agent out of their entire lineup other than Dansby Swanson, who who's a free agent this year is 2027 in, in Aussie Albies. So it's like out of the Braves, like typical lineup. There's one guy that's not under control past 2026, which is absolutely insane. Um, and obviously Michael Harris is an interesting, is an interesting move in that he's a rookie and he's been really, really good this year. There are things that that are a little risky long term with him. Um, you know, his pr- approach has been kind of iffy. He he's got a super high chase rate, and his BABIP's been pretty high all year. But you know, he's also a guy who got called up straight from Double A. You know, after like a hundred plate appearances at Double A. I mean, so I, I I'm not too worried about that. I I think it'll it probably will end up being a good contract for the Braves and. Uh, but yeah, the Michael Harris thing is good, and then Bryce Harper coming back that helps the Phillies a lot. Although you know they, I don't know if it's quite an. I mean, obviously it's a talent improvement, but you know the guys they've had to replace him have performed pretty well. So it's not like he's replacing someone who's been an absolute 
disaster in their lineup. Except I guess they could replace Castellanos, who's been a disaster. But um, but that'll be. I don't. I still don't think Bryce Harper's going to play the field, right? No, he won't. He's got a, still got the torn UCL, right? Right, right. Yeah, I, I thought so. I, th- I thought he was. He still can't play the field. So, but we'll see what happens with him coming back. Um, obviously, I think he'll hit well as he always does. So, can I just say, as a Cubs fan, how jealous I am of the Braves' strategy right here? I mean, <laughs> they have locked up an entire you know group of guys that for for relatively you know team friendly deals, but they're also not like. And nobody's going to judge Michael Harris for taking $70 million before he's ever played, you know, more than yeah. a year of baseball. You know, that's an incredible deal for Michael Harris. Right. But, you know, that's also, you know, if, if Harris becomes kind of a star center fielder, that's a steal for the Braves. So you know, what a job by the Braves front office to identify those those potential stars and then go ahead, get them like locked in. They know where they're going to be for the next five to ten years. They know who their teammates are going to be. Uh, that That's just the kind of thing that, that can keep a clubhouse together the whole time. And, and I really think that's the kind of thing that's brought the Braves together, uh, which has brought them closer to the mess. Yeah. And I'll, and I'll tell you real quick with the Braves too, in that the guys that they brought up, everyone, you know, everyone made a big deal out of at the start of the season, how the Braves had the worst farm system in baseball, but look, who's got the, th- the two leading candidates for rookie of the year. And, and then a guy who, has played like he probably should be rookie of the year since he got called up, but he's not going to have enough plate appearances. But, you know, like they, they're three of their key players right now are came out of their farm system this year. And I think that's something that, you know, everyone talks about like that player development is so important and then identifying them and then being able to obviously, like you say, bring them up at the big league level and sign them to extensions too. Um, I mean, I, I think that it's been, it's a lot of fun for me as a Braves fan. I, I tell you, we're going to be able to watch these guys for, for years to come. And it eliminates a lot of question marks, and you can kind of focus on the pitching side, which is a lot more volatile year to year. I think that's kind of the big thing. They could just say, okay, we're the lineup's dealt with and done. We need to focus on the pitching side and, and make sure we're not, you know, because that's such a weird, like, you know, it's tough to sign pitchers to long-term extensions because there's always that injury risk there. Yeah, and then another thing to mention um, with the Braves as well is that they have at least started exploratory talks with Dansby Swanson on an extension um, and, and might try to lock him up before he ever hits free agency this year regardless. Um, and Like you mentioned, he was the, the one guy that might be a free agent for 2027 or whatever it is, and they might lock him up ever before he ever gets there anyways. Um, so, I mean, Alex Stopolis has put on a clinic of how to – you know, build a team and, and keep it together for long term. And it, it, you have to also have to shout out to all those players that are willing to take a little bit less money, um, or, or in some cases, a lot less money to to keep the team and te- keep the camaraderie together um, for long term vision uh, and want to play together. So that is a that is a great job by the Braves players and by Alex Anthopoulos of, of putting this clinic on of, of how to to build the team for the long term. But Let's jump over to the National League Central, where we have the St. Louis Cardinals leading the division at 70 and 52. You got the Milwaukee Brewers 65 and 56, four and a half games back. You got the Chicago Cubs at 53 and 69, 17 games back. Uh, the Cincinnati Reds at 48 and 72, 21 games back, and then the Pittsburgh Pirates at 47 and 75, 23 games back. Yeah, I mean, starting off, you can just talk about the Cardinals and how the fact that that Nolan Arenado and 
Paul Goldschmidt are insane, and that Albert Pujols is on a heater right now and has been insane, and which is shocking. And I mean, I, they've been they've been so good. I want to elaborate a little bit. I was looking at some of the some of the. Uh, you know, obviously we, we'll talk we'll talk a lot in a minute about about Albert Pujols, but I want to talk about Paul Goldschmidt. I don't think people quite realize, and it's not as big of a thing as it used to be, but Paul Goldschmidt is like legitimately close to being a triple crown guy again. He's second in RBIs by two, he's second in home runs by three, and he leads the National League in average. So like he's got a legitimate shot if he has a good September at winning the triple crown this year, which is absolutely insane. And he's got a pretty comfortable lead on Freeman and average, not, not a huge lead, but it's fairly comfortable about, you know, 16 points of average. And, uh, you know, RBIs wise, he, he's, he's really doesn't have any, I mean, he's got 16 over third play. So I don't think anybody's going to jump over him and Pete Alonzo. And then home run wise, like, you know, he's tied with Riley and Alonzo and Alonzo's one behind him. Uh, but he's got to catch Kyle Schwarber there. So he has a shot at the Triple Crown, which nobody's really talking about, which is kind of insane. I would think part of that is kind of the reduction of the Triple Crown after Miguel right. Cabrera won it, you know what I mean? Like, it, RBI is not quite as uh, admired stat these days. It's it's super important, but it's not everything, and I think everybody kind of realizes that now. Yeah. But the fact that Goldschmidt's having a year like this where – he had kind of fallen off and everybody had kind of assumed, well, Goldschmidt's starting to, you know, fall off and get older, 34, you know, he's had a kind of mediocre last couple of years. Everybody kind of assumed that he would just kind of fade into oblivion and he's gone out and had to put up a 419 on base percentage and a 630 slugging percentage in route to what is effectively thus far an MVP campaign. Yeah, absolutely. And 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 then, you know, you to add on to that, the fact that, the second best player in the in the in the National League by wins above replacement by a pretty decent margin too has been Nolan Arenado, who nobody's talking about because his teammates doing so good. So it's pretty crazy how you know the, the Cardinals have, have both of these trades and, and big contracts have worked out so well for the Cardinals. As a Cubs fan, I can tell you it's hardly surprising. Yeah. Well, yeah, I mean it is the Cardinals, and they always seem to have the devil magic, but. Yeah, and we'll we'll talk about another one of their kind of trade steals here in a little bit. But the Cardinals have just found a way. I mean, they always do find that way, um, you know, to get people in there and, and just make them, you know, take that next step to an upper echelon player somehow, some way. Um, but you know, looking at the rest of that division, I mean, you got the. I mean, Milwaukee, we've talked about them before, and we talked about them at the deadline, but it seems like the whole clubhouse dynamic has really kind of changed ever since the Josh Hader trade. Um, you know, you can't really say that they they downgraded with how bad Hader's been, but I think it, it has messed with the clubhouse a little bit, at least in my opinion. It has. I, it's very clear. They, the uh, Eric Lauer came in and, and talked about that last week and said that, you know, because the the front office didn't go out and acquire players while they had the lead at the trade deadline uh, in the division, that changed the attitude in camp and that changed the attitude of the the clubhouse. And I, you know, just judging by their field of play, I mean, they played the Cubs this last week and and barely eat, avoided a sweep uh, in that final game. The Brewers do not look like the same team that was leading the Central just a couple of weeks ago. I mean, they are just not playing well at this point. 
And then yeah, they decided and- to shut out the Dodgers yesterday, so that's great. <laughs> well, it was Eric Lauer against the Dodgers, so that happens when he pitches against the Dodgers. But he so just a little side note there, he is the best pitcher by ERA in the history against the Dodgers yeah, of active I, of after of active pitchers, I should say. Unbelievable! It is it is outrageous what he is able to do. Him and Zach Davies both. I don't yeah. understand it. Both Milwaukee Brewers legends. Yeah, but you know, looking at talking about the Brewers. You know, part of that probably clubhouse dynamic. That's definitely part of it. But part of it, too, I think is just regression because they weren't going to – this offense, I mean, you look at their collection of talent. And Willie Adamas is a really good shortstop. He's a good player. You know, Jace Peterson has been their second-best player this year, surprisingly. And he's actually had a pretty good season. You know, 112 WRC plus for him. Uh, he's only played 80 games. Uh, but other than that, I mean – like Christian Yelich is just not that good anymore. I mean, he's okay. He's a, he's an average everyday player at this point. Hunter Renfro has been decent for them, but I mean, you look down the list. Like Keston Hura has been one of their better players in 53 games, but he has a 43% strikeout rate. He's been one of their best hitters. I mean, and the pitching wise, like they've dealt with the injuries at times. Brandon Woodruff missed a lot of time. Freddie Peralta missed a ton of time. I think he's back now, but. This is just a team that I just don't think is all that good. Like, they don't have – there's just nobody in their offense that scares you, like, at all. Uh, and, and then they're pitching, like, outside of Corbin Burns, who's had another great season, but maybe not quite what he was last year. Like, they're, they're just not – you know, Brandon Woodruff is a good pitcher. He's a, you know, a, a really good number two. It's just, you know, uh, they just don't have the depth as a team. And, and I just don't think they're all that good. So they had a great start to the year. They had some guys overperforming. They were kind of rolling a little bit. But I just think that the Cardinals just have a lot more talent. And, and the reason that you know a lot of people picking the Brewers, including, including myself, is the, 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 the weak division. And I think that the Brewers just aren't that good. So um, they still have a chance to make the playoffs. They're 65 and 56. They could turn it around. I mean, they're I think they were like, what, one game behind the Phillies maybe for the third wild card. So um, – you know, they're not that far behind the Padres who are collapsing too. So um, we'll see what happens with them. But uh, definitely a team that's struggling right now. And just to jump on the, the three kind of cellar dwellers of the NL Central real quick, the Cubs have been playing really good baseball of late. Yeah. And it's very frustrating because the Cubs absolutely could have played like this all season. This division was weak. You just mentioned it. And the Cubs were wasting their time with Jonathan Villar, Jason Hayward, Andrelton Simmons. Uh, you know, they, they had every opportunity, I think, to jump on this. And, and Chris Morrell has been a bit of a revelation, and they've seen Justin Steele and Keegan Thompson kind of explode into starter potential. But, uh, you know, they could have been here. Uh, their rotation got decimated in the early part of the season, and now it's finally healthy and kind of producing. But, you know... They, that's just an unfortunate. This is my sixty cents on the Cubs. Is they're playing now like I envisioned they would play this season if they would have a successful season, and you know I think our goal was kind of always seventy-five to eighty wins, around five hundred. Show us you're moving the right direction, and they're they might get there, but kind of they might get there at the cost of a good draft pick at this point. So it's a a little bit of a, a you know I'm not sure I'm too excited about it, but I'd much rather see them playing well down the stretch here. Yeah, well, that and, whole uh, that whole resurgence has really came with uh with the acquisitions of Franmil Reyes and getting Nick Madrigal right back, back right, David. 
hey, look, I I have to jinx them if if they're to succeed and. <laughs> yeah. Well, I was gonna I was gonna elaborate a little bit at somebody. Obviously, David's a Cubs fan and somebody who doesn't follow him that closely, but. For me, I, I never thought the Cubs would be very good at all this year. I, I think I picked them fourth in the division and everything. But the thing that they needed was some of these players, these young players, to step up. Like, Nico Horner has been really, 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 really good this year. And they've really seemed to have a guy that they can kind of lock in on for the future. Um, and, and, you know, Wilson Contreras has been really good. And Ian Happ's been really good, too. Those are guys who, I, I mean, I don't know what ends up happening with Contreras in the offseason. I don't know if they extend him or not but those are guys who all three of those guys are guys they could build around in the future say suzuki's been decent Meh. you know he's had his yeah i mean he hadn't been but he hadn't been completely lost so maybe after that adjustment period we talked about before the season this year maybe he eventually ends up getting to a level of you know being really good at the big league level he's done some good things this year for sure uh, he's just been a little inconsistent. And then you look at, like like, like you mentioned, Christopher Morrell. He's definitely seen, showed that he's got big league talent. I, I think he's been a little bit lucky, a little bit too. But a lot of his – I mean, he's got good metrics on his base running. You know, he's got a lot of athleticism. And he's hit the ball well, and he's hit for some power too, which is nice. Uh, obviously, a 31% strikeout rate is going to have to come down. But he's not overmatched at the big league level as a rookie. So he looks like a guy you can maybe throw into that core for the future too. So, you know, they've got some good pieces there. And then the pitching, like you mentioned, I mean, you know, Justin Steele, you talked about, he's been really good. Um, and, you know, Marcus Stroman's been not maybe not quite what he was they hoped he would be. He's dealt, obviously dealt with a little bit of injury too, but he's been good. And another thing for the Cubs too is their farm system seems to be improving. Like the guys in it seem to be developing some, which is nice. Uh, we don't have enough know, time to talk about the Cubs farm system. Right, they are, right, but, right. But I could go like, on and on. Yeah, the, the guys there are developing. And, and to that matter, you talk about the Reds, too, with the farm system stuff. A lot of their guys are developing in their farm, too, and they've made some really good acquisitions there. So while the Reds have obviously been worse than the Cubs at the big league level this year and their farm system's developing, too, uh, that's something to kind of look, for, look at going forward is those bottom three teams, all three of them are starting to look like they have a pretty good future. I'm not, you know, the Pirates, some of their guys who have come up recently worry me a little bit. Like, O'Neal Cruz has not been good. I think he'll be fine. He's a rookie. You know, rookies aren't always great, but, um, you know, it, it takes time for some guys. But I, I definitely think that this is a, that these three teams have a future, so. Yeah, they at least give you some hope looking yeah. forward uh, of what they could be um, and, and what they will be in a, in a couple, you know, in a couple years or whatever, but. Let's move over to the NOS, which has probably been the most noteworthy, newsworthy division over the past couple weeks. Uh, but with the Dodgers leading the division at 84 and 37, you got the Padres at 68 and 56, 17 and a half games back. You got the San Francisco Giants at 60 and 61, 24 games back. Arizona at 55 and 66, 29 games back. And then Colorado at 53 and 70, 32 games back. Um, but most of the news from this division is coming from those top two teams. Yeah, so um, I guess we'll start off. I'll start off because it's, it'll be a lot more brief, and then we can get into the long story. But uh, the Dodgers lost Walker Buehler for the season officially. Uh, he had Tommy John surgery today, which also hurts them because they lose him next year too. So I guess he's a free agent after next year, right? Uh, I believe he's 24, 24 if I'm not okay. mistaken. 
after so, 24. Uh, so I guess he has not thrown his last pitch as a Dodger, hopefully, um, if, if it's 24. So, But uh, that's a big blow to the Dodgers. They've had the, the pitching injuries have added up a little bit. Obviously, the team is absolutely wrong yeah, they right might, now. And, they might not win 115 games. Yeah, yeah, but you know, you it, when it comes to the postseason, I mean, it, you know, you do worry just a little bit about the pitching because of Walker Buehler not coming back when you thought you were going to get him back. Kershaw, we don't know what he's going to end up looking like. Uh, obviously, Dustin May has come back and looked good so far, so that's that's good for the Dodgers. But um, you know, I, right now it's like Urias, May, and I guess Anderson would be your or Gonsolin would be your postseason starters in a three game in your first three games. So. I don't know how much, like, that's not the same as Bueller, Urias, May, Kershaw, all these guys that they had throwing out there at the beginning of the season. But, I mean, the bullpen's good, and the, the, the offense is so good that it probably is not going to matter that much. But um, but definitely definitely noteworthy that Walker Bueller is going to be missing the, the all of the rest of this year and all of next year. So, Speaking of that offense on the Dodgers, uh, Max Muncy did receive an extension. Yes. Uh, here for uh, one year, thirteen point five million with a twenty twenty four option. Believe that's going to be a mutual option, might be a club option. But uh, to me, you know, Muncy staying out of free agency, hitting age thirty two, seems a little bit strange. But that being said, you know, and I think Damian can probably back this up, being you know the Dodger fan who has kind of followed that from from the get go. It's a much more important thing to a guy like Max Muncy to play where he's currently playing in the situation he's currently playing in because they believe in him and they've built him into the player that he is. And Muncy's, you know, I think honoring that and believes that he'll, you know, retain that five win form that he had three of the last five seasons. Yeah, he mentioned in his like media scrum yesterday after it um, that, you know, he probably could have got more money. Uh, elsewhere if, if he would have hit the free agent market um, he probably could have got a longer term deal but that right now like LA's home they're the team that really gave him the the opportunity you know believed in him when a lot of people didn't um, and that he really feels like it's a family so that the money is not really what's important to him the the chance to stay with you know a club that he considers family and that to stay with um, you know just to stay in that organization in general and have a chance to win um, was really big to him uh, that way, and he even mentioned that he's open to even getting into the offseason and talking a longer term extension um, past just the 2024 option that it is. I believe it is a club option with no buyout, but uh, I'll have to actually look into that afterwards. But, um, you know, obviously losing Walker Bueller, Walker Bueller for the rest of the season and the next season hurts a lot. They just did get Dustin May back. Um, but going into the, the offseason, they're going to have legit question marks at the, the rotation because you have three of your guys in the rotation that are going to be free agents with Tyler Anderson, Andrew Heaney, Clayton Kershaw, and then with the loss of Walker Buehler as well. Um, you can kind of look at having Dustin May, Urias, and Tony Gonsolin as your, as your three there, but definitely some question marks. Um, oh, on no. The, on the starting they might have to side. use They might have to use top prospect Bobby Miller or top prospect uh, Ryan Pepio or, or, oh, gosh, or, what a horrible situation the Dodgers or, are in, guys. I don't know what or, they're going to do. Or new top 100 prospect Gavin Stone. I mean, I can keep going for you, too. Yeah, uh, yeah we can keep going. But, but uh, we'll, we'll go ahead and move over to the San Diego Padres, which is probably the biggest story um, over the last couple of weeks, which Fernando Tatis Jr., we had talked about him a lot, and he was getting ready to kind of return, was getting ready to near that rehab assignment. I believe was actually even on rehab assignment um, and tested positive. I don't know what the – I think it was clo- Clobestol. 
Yep. Cool. Um, anyways, tested positive for a, a banned substance of PEDs. Uh, he got suspended for 80 games um, starting now. He'll miss, I believe it's the four, the last 48 games of this year, the first 32 games of next year. Um, and then while also, while also serving that suspension, he's decided to undergo the shoulder surgery that was a hot topic for us um, late last year and then into the offseason to, uh, to help with that four dislocations that he had last year. Yeah, I mean, you know, I just wonder how dumb you could possibly be. I mean, like, it's not the 1990s anymore. You're getting tested pretty often. I mean, and you're taking, you're, you're out there juicing. I mean, and and, and I don't want to, and, and then and then to go on and give BS excuses about, like, I'm taking ringworm medication, and this, the fact that it's like this is a, the name of the substance that he tested positive for is is close to the name of a substance that's in some ringworm medications, but it's not the same one. Like, he obviously looked it up on the internet and said, oh, this is my excuse. Like, I mean, come on, man. Like, just, it, it's frustrating. It's frustrating as a fan for the game because Fernando Tatis Jr. is one of the most exciting young players in the game. He's so fun to watch. He was just about to come back. And now you're going to have to deal with this whole thing, this 80-game, you know, this 80 game thing suspension after you missed him all of this year, he's already that the team was already a little bit upset with him because of the reason he missed this year being a motorcycle accident. He had in the off season. I mean, the guy really needs to mature some and, and take better care of, take better care of himself and not, not feel the need to start juicing to try to get back quicker and not feel the need to, come into the, you know, to, to go do a bunch of crazy stuff in the off season that can get yourself like severely injured. I mean, it's just, it's unfortunate. And, you know, obviously, obviously, for, you know, when I say I that think... the, the whole, you know, juicing thing and stuff, I don't think Fernando Tatis Jr. is a product of steroids or anything. Cause he's never tested positive no. before. And he was really, really good before he did not need to do this. Like, I don't understand I... why he did this. And it's just dumb. So I think it's uh, clear from, I think it's clear from the uh, <clears throat> the teammates kind of interviewing and giving their thoughts on it that they're a lot more disappointed that he was even in the position to need to you know to, to feel like he needed to take steroids, as opposed to actually taking the steroids. You know, it's they were much more concerned that the fact that he was out the whole season with this wrist injury in the first place, and. You know, I think that's perfectly warranted. What, why was, what was he doing? You know, and, and that's the, the kind of thing that he's very clearly stated that he's remorseful for his actions. And, uh, you know, I think with a, a longer offseason now to ponder it, um, if he shows up healthy and ready to go once that suspension is ended, I think you'll, you might see a different Fernando Tatis Jr. and a guy who uh, may have a little chip on his shoulder. Yeah, I just, I hope he, I hope he matures some. I mean, I hope that he, you know, he, he learns that when you when you're a baseball player, you know, you're getting paid. How much money is he worth? Like his on his contract, like three hundred well, thirty-seven million. Yeah. yeah, yeah. I mean, he's getting paid three hundred thirty-seven million dollars to play baseball, and there's certain things that you need to do to to be able to do that. I mean, and things like you know, speeding through traffic on a motorcycle late at night in the off season is not one of them. I mean, things like you know, getting caught shooting up steroids for you know no reason really is is a large part of it i mean you know it, it's to me it, it's just 
it's puzzling to me is but but he he's he's got to mature some and he's got to learn what what he needs to learn to do is he needs to learn how to be mature and do the things off the field that need to be done to be a successful baseball player long term and but while still keeping all he needs to keep that fire and stuff on the field that he has because that's what makes him exciting that that's part of what makes him good but he needs to mature off the field and, and not make a lot of you know these kind of you know wild risky thing decisions off the field so hopefully he hopefully he does does that and, and maybe this is a wake-up call you know there's a reason that you get a suspension for your first steroid thing it's because sometimes guys need a wake-up call and then they can be clean uh, you know, and I hope that he comes, that he gets clean and comes back next year and, and comes out and does well. Cause I don't really think he's, you know, I don't really think he's a product of steroids. I mean, I think you could probably call him a cheater now because he's shooting up steroids, trying to, you know, trying to get better. I, I mean, and that's against the rules and that's cheating, but you know, I don't think he ever has been that guy. Uh, now his dad is, but I don't think he has been. Yeah, it, it probably is the wake-up call. I mean, even in his interview today, he seemed, you know, like remorseful, but he also just seemed to own the fact, you know, own up to it more than the most people who try to push it aside. Like, obviously, he's going to be in the public eye more because he's Fernando Tatis Jr. and everything that's been happening, um, you know, with the with the wrist injury already. And the, there had already been the frustrations in the clubhouse. And I think you saw those boil over after the suspension, but I don't even think this was a thing of him trying to take it to get better. I think it was just him trying to take it to get healthy and try and get back because I think he was feeling the pressure from the organization, from his teammates, from, you know, the public in general. I think he was just tired of hearing the questions and took something to try and help himself get there sooner. Um, so it, it, it will be a wake up call. You know, he's still only 23, so I don't think this tarnishes his legacy in any way. Like, I mean, he'll be 24 when he comes back next year. And, I mean, he'll have 10 to 13 more years of, you know, being a, a, a baseball player that, you know, if he's clean all that time, I think a lot of people will forget the the one little hiccup he had at, at age 23 yeah. um, uh, from it. Absolutely. But. Yeah, I mean, there is time for him. Absolutely. I, I 100% agree. Yeah. The, so, the and, thing and, might be okay. the thing might be that you know you, you say that, but I I would say that I think our our attitude towards steroids maybe needs to change a little bit because we look back at the steroid era, and I think the the, the biggest change was that those guys could play till they were forty five, you know they were taking steroids for the longevity rather than the you know the, the additional power the additional ability to hit the baseball like Barry Bonds was a Hall of Fame player before the steroids. You know, I, I just think that the attitude needs to be more of a those who were very clearly to change their bodies to be able to play for as long as possible. And this was a desperate attempt to get back a little bit quicker. Um, you know, I don't know that there's any sort of cheating going on there. And he's been rightly, you know, punished for making that desperate decision. And, uh, you know, I think once we get there, if he never gets suspended for steroids again, then I don't I don't think there's anything wrong with it. And he's going to have learned his lesson. Yeah. Yeah. Well, let's jump over to our players of the week uh, and, and wrap this episode up. So let's go ahead and start with Matt. So who do you have for your hitter this week? So my hitter this week is I'm finally going to make a homer pick. I haven't made a lot of them this year, but um, my homer pick is going to be Vaughn Grissom. Um, I had to pick him because, you know, well, he, he it's really been the last two weeks since he got called up. But uh, he has over the past week 
a 360 average, 385 on base, 520 slugging, and uh, over his past, over his first 14 big league games, he has put up a 420 average, nice, a 463 on base, and a 660 slugging for a 211 WRC plus. He's hit three home runs. Uh, the home run he hit on Saturday tied the game that went to extra innings as a, as a one-to-one game. So he really rescued the Braves on, on Saturday against Houston. Uh, his plate discipline numbers look good. This is a guy who had 22 games above A ball in his career before he got called up after some of the injuries the Braves had had at the big league level. And all he has done is just absolutely come up and mash a 2.11 WRC plus. He's out already been worth 1.1 wins above replacement. And when you look at the rookie leaderboards, he is already um, he is the uh, in the big leagues, he's already a top 20 rookie in the big leagues this year after just a couple games. He's not qualified yet, and he is uh, – if I change uh, – let me let me double-check my numbers here. But I believe he's – yeah, he's been worth – so he's been worth more than Nolan Gorman, Seiya Suzuki, Vinny Pascantino. These are some pretty high-profile rookies that recently got called up, and he's only 1.1 wins above replacement behind, like, Joey Bart. Or he's tied with Joey Bart. He's uh, he's only uh, any he, he, he's not far behind some of these other guys like Bobby Witt Jr. and uh, Brendan Donovan, Christopher Morell. It's pretty crazy how how good he's been so far. Obviously, 441 Babbitt. He's not going to keep this up all year, but I mean, he looks like another like legit steal uh, that the Braves have made out of their farm. Well, it's not really a steal because they developed him, but but he looks like another legitimate player coming out of that farm system that. It's going to be there for a long time. So uh, it's been very exciting to watch him so far in the big leagues. All right. Well, David, who do you have for your hitter this week? Well, <laughs> it is Albert Pujols, man. And this has honestly been super fun to watch because Pujols has gone from being, you know, a, kind of an afterthought. We kind of assumed, ah, he's not going to get to 700 home runs, you know, it, He'll get to like 690 or something like that before the season's over and he'll retire with without hitting 700. We won't get to see it in our lifetimes. And then, you know, this week he's gone after, off and hit seven homers with a 500 batting average. He's he's just gone absolutely berserk. Uh, it's it's one of those things that's helping the Cardinals win all these games. But seeing Pujols kind of rejuvenated like this is just kind of a throwback. It, it feels like the mid two thousands, but this is as good of a stretch as mid two thousands Pujols ever had. I mean, you know, seven home runs in two weeks is just a, a bonkers number. And, and he's two homers clear of everybody in the league over the last two weeks. And he's played less games than all of them. He's not even uh, on the qualified leaderboard. I mean, his WRC plus starts with a four uh, to give you how good he's been over this stretch. And, and with that, you know, I mean, Pujols is, you know, approaching quickly that 700 mark. He's only, I think, seven away now at 693. So uh, we're real hoping it's it, it comes and we get to see a, a 700 home run hitter in our lifetimes here because after him, I don't know who may get close to this number again. Yeah, I mean, it would have to be a super young guy that, you know, has already had a big start to their career, like a, I guess, like a Ronald Acuna or a Juan Soto or somebody who's early 20s and already has a bunch but uh it's 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 rare and i want to elaborate on that just i mean what do you what do you think the chances are that he gets there because i don't think they're great but 
man, he's got a real, he's got a legitimate shot now. Like he, he, he legitimately has a shot at it now. I still probably air toward he doesn't get to 700, but I mean, there's been a lot of players hit seven home runs and, you know, a little over a month and about 40 games. So I, you know, I think a lot of it depends on how much he plays uh, because, you know, they've really just been playing him against lefties. But, man, I, they need to throw him in the lineup every day right now. I mean, just, just pencil him in right now because he's so hot right now. It's, you know, he probably would be hit against, you know, against righties too. So, Yeah, I err on the side of caution that he's going get, to get to 700 yeah. this year. I mean, I really hope he does, um, you know, but it's, it's, it's going to be a stretch. I mean, seven homers in a month. I mean, or, you know, a month and a week or so, I mean, that's still a lot. I mean, that's still, I mean, I know he's hit seven over the past couple weeks or whatever it was, but can you can count on that to, to keep up? Probably not. Um, you just, you don't know. I mean, he, he crushes, he's crushing lefties so much. Um, and I wonder how much being in this stretch run, you know, is going to hurt him if they're not able to throw him in there against righties as much. Um, but I really do hope. And, you know, it does suck that he's, I mean, not suck as much, but that he has still stayed adamant that this is the last year for him um, and that he will not come back next year, even with the chance to go for 700. Um, I just, I have that sneaky suspicion that he's going to fall like one homer shirt short and he's going to end at like 699 and we're all just going to be devastated. What, what, I wonder, I wonder if he, wonder what decision he makes if he hits 699. Like, cause, I mean, you, we've seen both ways. We've seen like Roberto Clemente got back, came back to get his last hit, you know, to get to three thousand. Like, does he try to hit one more? I mean, come back and like sign with the Rockies or something stupid and try to hit one more home run. I don't think he does because that's more of just like a stat chasing thing. But, but man, I hope he gets it this year. I, I like like you say, I and and I, I said earlier, I, I just I don't really believe it's going to happen. But but man, that'd be a lot of fun. Right. Yeah, I don't think yeah, he would but, sign with anyone like the Rockies. I think yeah. he would just go back to the Cardinals again. Yeah. Um, but, but this stretch has just been a throwback, and it's really cool to see. Yeah, it has. Been it really is. Uh, well, staying with the uh, with the Cardinals theme, Matt, who do you have for your pitcher this week? So the pitcher I picked this week was, uh, you know, we kind of briefly hinted at it earlier that it was going to be one of our picks here, uh, but it's been Jordan Montgomery, and ever since he got traded to the Cardinals, he's been really 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 good over his past two weeks he has given up one run in 14 and two-thirds innings with a uh, you know a lot of strikeout 15 strikeouts and no walks in those two starts no home runs uh you know he's getting the ball on the ground a lot this is a guy that since he got traded over to the cardinals for the yankees has had a 0.35 era a 171 fielding independent pitching and a 268 xfip he's been incredible uh you know, not walking anybody, which he didn't really walk anybody with the, with the uh, Yankees either. But the home run balls have come down. His ground ball rate has been a big deal for him because the Cardinals' infield defense is really, 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 really good. And they, especially with Arenado over at third, having like an insane defensive season this year. And a 51% ground ball rate definitely plays with those, that Cardinals' defense. And then, um, you know, he's getting a fair amount of strikeouts now. He, he you know, with the Yankees, he wasn't really striking many guys out. Uh, Seven point six strikeouts per nine. Now, I mean, he's up to eight point four strikeouts per nine. His his K rate has imp- improved to twenty six percent, which is which is pretty pretty solidly, uh, you know, right a little above average, right at average, uh, for a guy who's not really a ground ball, uh, not really a strikeout pitcher. So, 
Uh, obviously, he's not going to keep up a .35 ERA the rest of the season, but this definitely looks like a really good pickup from the Yankees. And uh, for a guy who in Harrison Bader hadn't even played yet for the Yankees, he's still injured. So uh, definitely looking like a really, really good trade for, for St. Louis in that trade that was really confusing at the deadline. So uh, very, uh, very nice, uh, very nice for uh, for St. Louis to have a, uh, you know, have another guy because their pitching was kind of what was holding them back a lot of the year. But, you know, they're starting to look pretty formidable there now. Absolutely. Yeah. Jordan Montgomery has been a revelation for them. Um, you know, I think over the past two weeks, he has like a 0.44 ERA, but I think over his first four starts there, he has like a 0.45 ERA um, or, or something with them. And and been really a guy that they, they can count on to go out there and take them deep into ball games, be efficient. Um, and just be, you know, really, really good for them in, in general and help Adam Wainwright kind of bear the load of that rotation because you haven't had Jack Flaherty all year. Um, Dakota Hudson has been shaky for most of the season. Uh, and then Michaelis has had his has had his moments of being really good, but then he, he's had his moments of kind of being shaky or rocky as well. So really good for Jordan Montgomery to go over there, get the opportunity. I always felt like a place like St. Louis would be really good for him. Get him out of like a band box at a Yankee stadium and, and into a pitcher friendly park like St. Louis was going to help uh, quite a bit. But jumping over to David, who do you have for your pitcher this week? Well, I was told that DeGrom was made a pitcher of the week last week, and he had an equivalent week this week to last week. The guy is just incredible. Uh, so I'm just going to name him, but I went ahead and got Justin Steele some love. Uh, Justin had a 18 innings pitch, three starts this week, uh, and a one flat ERA for the Cubs. Uh, he has been really rock solid. He's striking out 11.5 per nine. And on the season, he's almost reaching 10 strikeouts per nine innings. He's had a lot of really good outings from the, the left side. He's throwing, you know, 95 mile an hour fastballs, lefty, big curveball. He's introduced a slider for the first time this year. So while he's at the big leagues, learning to be a starter, he's incorporating a brand new pitch. Uh, and, and with that has come a lot of success uh, to the point that he really kind of looks like a, a solid you know, number two, number three starter for the Cubs going forward. And uh, he's really filling a hole that I think the Cubs were, uh, you know, hoping to find some solutions for this season. And he's been outright excellent, but especially these last three weeks. I mean, the, you know, the Cubs have been playing good baseball these last couple of weeks. And uh, Justin Steele is a big part of why, because he's had such, you know, remarkably strong starts uh, that, you know, he's able to keep the Cubs in the game, uh, even when their offense isn't performing. And then they're able to win it late. Yeah, Justin Steele's been a, you know, like you mentioned, he's kind of been one of those young guys that has come up and kind of proven himself to be a, a long-term solution or a, or a solution moving forward for the Cubs rotation, which had a lot of question marks coming into the year. Um, you know, Kyle Hendricks, we had, we've talked about him. He's out for the year now. Uh, you know, you had Stroman, but he had battled his own injuries and inconsistencies. And really for a, a big majority of the season, it was Keegan Thompson that was really the guy – um, that the Cubs could count on. And then Justin Steele, you know, as, as of late has really proven to be another guy that they can count on moving forward. Right. And, and looking into what the Cubs were looking for this year, um, I don't think, you know, winning the World Series was really on the cards, even though you probably want every season to be, you know, a World Series level season. But the, the Cubs needed to hit some answers, right? And they needed to find some solutions to the problems, especially with the starting rotation and primarily with the starting rotation. I, I would argue that maybe the second most important thing that happened was Chris Morrell, but Justin Steele and Keegan Thompson becoming, you know, 
viable starters for the the, the long term future is the most significant thing uh, for the Cubs' future, and and it's going to enable them to spend money this off season. You know, spend prospects if need be. Uh, you know, hunt for a good trade and a good uh, a good signing or two, and and really you know take a step up into the central. Uh, where they don't have to fill out that two and that three along with the ace position uh, in that starting rotation. Absolutely. Well, that's we'll wrap up the players of the week or players of the last two weeks, really. Um, you know, anything else you guys want to hit on before we wrap this show up? Um, not too much. Just, uh, you know, we got a little over a month left. Uh, just uh, looking forward, uh, you know, the division races worth watching right now are the AL Central, which is probably going to be the most interesting division race, especially since it seems pretty unlikely that these teams make the wild card. It is possible that a team out of this division makes the wild card, but fairly unlikely. Uh, so that those three teams within three games are probably going to determine a, uh, you know, who makes it, who doesn't. Um, you know, obviously the American League wild card race with the Orioles in there, it's interesting. And then you look at the National League, the NL East is still really close at three games. I guess the NL Central is still kind of interesting, but really the, the big thing is the, the rest of the wild card race in the, in the National League, too. There's two or three teams for that last wild card. So uh, definitely, uh, you know, kind of between the Brewers, the Phillies, and uh, the Padres for the last wild card there, was, as either the Braves or the Mets will lock up the first wild card, whoever doesn't win that division. And then in the American League, you look at like a conglomeration of teams could potentially get that that uh the last wild card spot right now the rays blue jays and mariners in position but the orioles are only a couple games behind so uh you know we'll see what ends up happening there but uh definitely getting down to the the stretch run here and and this last month's gonna be really interesting in the, in the postseason races and uh you know we'll see what happens I'm, I'm excited to watch it yeah and i just want to say uh thanks for having me on again i, I always love having uh, a chance to speak my mind about baseball and uh it's always uh, good to hang out with you guys, and uh, yeah, you you can see the Batflip podcast on Thursdays uh, on a couple of race cars in Oska. Uh, go ahead and tune into Three Wide TV on YouTube, uh, and you'll see uh, the Batflip podcast on uh, a bunch of race cars. It'll be good. Yeah, we don't really mention that much, but we do a lot of the iRacing side and and sponsor um, some cars in a in a league or two, but. Um, yeah, it'll be, it'll be good. And like Matt mentioned, coming down into the stretch run, uh, it's going to be interesting to see the the final couple playoff races for the divisions and then what the wild cards look like. Remember last year we had, down to the last weekend, the last day we had some wild, wild card scenarios. Um, so hopefully we're able to get something like that again. And uh, and we can you know keep bringing you some, some good content here uh, on the Batflip podcast. But that will wrap it up for this episode. Thank you guys for tuning in, and we'll catch you guys next week.